0: I'm Christina May, the online pastor at World Harvest Church in Enid, Oklahoma. You're about to hear a spirit-filled message from our pastor. So grab your Bible, and if you're a coffee lover like me, grab a cup of coffee, and get ready for a personal word that God has for you today.
1: I want you to open up your Bible with me here to the book of Matthew, chapter 23. Excuse me. Matthew, chapter 23. I'm going to wrap up our series that we've been on for the last seven weeks called Missio Dei. Now, those of you that have been coming know that this is Latin for what? It's Latin for the the mission of God. We've been looking over the last several weeks about what the overlying mission of God is for our life, for us as a church. We have our specific mission here at World Harvest Church to take a real Jesus to a real world. That's our mission, but the overlying mission that we've been talking about, the Missio Dei, is a mission that God calls anybody a Christian And we've learned over the last several weeks that there's three parts to the Missio day. the mission of God, is, if y'all remember, they are to what? To multiply, to go, or to scatter, then also to rule, to bring God's rule and reign to the world we live in. But we took a look at something last week, something I think very profound, something very enlightening. Today's message is actually the second half of my last week's message, So if you would, look with me again at Matthew chapter 23. I want you to see this passage of scripture where Jesus is having the discussion here with a people group that he had more conflict with during his earthly ministry time than anybody else. And it wasn't the sinners. The people who Jesus had the most conflict with that he butted heads with more than anybody, who were they? It was the church people, the religious people. Imagine that, it was the group called the Pharisees. It's in Matthew chapter 23 that Jesus, he's just really bringing some correction and, and bringing some revelation to this, these people, the, the people that were the church leaders of that day. And he says, well, if you would look with me in verse 23 of Matthew 23, he said this, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, and I love the way Jesus said, you hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your Herb gardens, but, but you ignore the, mo, the more important aspects of the law. In other words, you know, he takes this moment. He's like, you know, hey, you guys do good when it comes to tithe. In fact, you guys believe in the principle of the tithe so much, you're even tithing out of your garden. Every little bit, I mean, you're making sure that you're honoring God with the 10%, you know, kind of reminds me back in the day when I lived in Guyman. I was an administrator for my dad out at his church, you know, we had some farmers in the church and they believed in the tithing principle to the extent that when it came time for harvest time, they would literally give the church 10% of the wheat harvest. I know they'd call up and say, hey, you got so many bushels of wheat in this elevator. I mean, they believed it very much. Some of y'all here at the church, you believe in the principle of the tithe, you honor God. Man, I commend you for that. Man, and I thank you, and I thank you that we have had the most prosperous years of church that we have ever had in the history of World Harvest Church. Thank you for your giving. Thank you for honoring God. Thank you for being faithful, even during the midst of the mess of last year, amen? You know, during COVID shutdown, our offerings went up. I was like, well, thank you, Jesus. So thank you for believing in the principle of honoring God, and Jesus is here. He's with these Pharisees. he says, you've done good. He says, but you've forgotten something. He says you ignore the more important aspects of the law. He 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 identifies three things. Everybody look at it with me. He says you've, you've neglected justice. Everybody say justice. You've neglected mercy. Everybody say mercy. And you've neglected faith. Of course, I love what Jesus said here, the rest of scripture. You should tithe. Yeah. But don't neglect the more important things. You know, in other words, like many Christians today, they're doing well in many areas of the life, but they're leaving some important things out. And we really nailed down on this last week. You know, faith, we're doing pretty good in faith, I think. Mercy, we do pretty good in mercy. You know, and I can't tell you how many times I've been in a church service where I've heard messages about mercy, about loving, you know, the, like the prodigal, uh, excuse me, uh, the, the, the good Samaritan, you know, being like the good Samaritan, taking care of those that are hurting, right? Showing mercy, But I've heard very, very few messages about justice. In fact, after giving the message last week, I had a lot of y'all come back to me and say, Pastor, I've never heard a pastor talk about justice before. I've heard about the others. And so we started into this message last week. And so again, just to get us on the same page, just going back to the foundation, justice is this. Justice defined, it is the quality of being guided by truth or reason or fairness or fairness. It's moral rightness. It goes on, and says, it's the ministering of deserved punishment or reward. That is what justice is. It reminds me back when I was growing up back in Guymon, Oklahoma, I had an older brother three and a half years older than me, but I had a younger sister that was just two years behind me. My older brother, we didn't, we'd talk every once in a while, but my younger sister, for some reason, she thought she was God's gift to my earth to irritate me. And so we would always get in these little, you know, brother sister fights. You know, anytime mom and dad were looking, I was picking on her. And my sister, for some reason, she understood justice because she'd always go to mom and dad and say, ah, Brad's picking on me. <laughs> Give me justice. Come on, anybody grow up in a home like that and your mom and dad, you know, I mean, you would administer some justice. My sister would always smile at me when I was getting my spank and looking like, <laughs> I got you. <laughs> anybody else have an irritating sister? I mean, a sister like that? or a brother. But justice, justice is something here that is very much about the kingdom of God that we don't, like I said a moment ago, talk about a lot. Uh, A couple of scriptures again. Psalms 37, verse 28. For the Lord loves justice, and he will never abandon the godly. He will keep them safe forever. But the children of the wicked will die. Proverbs 31, verse eight, and nine. Let me read this one again here today. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Now, I'm gonna read the rest of that here in just a moment, but as I read through this, do you know of anybody in your world that you live in through the week that maybe this scripture applies to? Let me read that verse eight again. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being what? Crushed. Verse nine. Yes, speak up for the poor. Speak up for the helpless and see that they get what? Justice. I dare to say that part of our missio day. Part of the ruling aspect of the Missio Dei, the mission of God for our life is not to be people who stick our head in the sand when we see injustices, but we are supposed to be people that are speaking up for the helpless, amen? We are supposed to be people that are doing something about righteousness, people who are bringing God's rule, bringing God's reign to the earth with which we live in, Amen? And I, just a couple thoughts, I'm just really kind of sharing from my heart here this morning more than actually what I would call a teaching message like I did last week. But the thing that I want us all to understand is God is the ultimate judge. He's the ultimate judge. Now, God doesn't ask us to be the judge of people in this world, but he does ask us to help those out that need some help. Amen? There's a fine line between sitting back and pointing fingers at people versus going in and getting dirty and helping somebody that's in a moment of pain or a moment of sorrow. In that, amen, God is a just God. He believes in justice, right? Kind of reminds me of a little joke I heard one time about a burglar who broke into this house and he heard this voice and it said this, better watch out, Jesus is watching. Jesus is watching. (laughs) The burglar didn't know what to do. He got his flashlight out, he started looking around and over in the corner he saw this parrot. And the burglar said, well, are you the one that said that? And the parrot said, yes, I am. You better watch out, Jesus is watching the burglar said, well, what kind of idiot people would name, a, or he asked the parrot, he said, what's your name? And he said, Moses. And he said, well, what kind of idiot people would name a parrot Moses? And he said, well, the same type of people would name a 150-pound Rottweiler Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> now, Jesus is watching, but I believe he wants to use you and I to bring justice to our world today. Amen. Come on, everybody say, God wants to use me. I want us to look at a story back in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel chapter 21. Now, again, there's a lot of things I could really dive into, into this message today. This is just really what I feel like the Lord stirred in my heart to bring to us today at World Harvest. I want you to see the story. It's about King David. King David, the second king of Israel. Verse chapter 21 started. It starts out in verse one. Let's look at this passage of scripture. Second Samuel 21, verse one. There was a famine during David's reign that lasted for three years. So David asked the Lord about it. The Lord said, listen to this. I want you to see this. The famine has come because Saul, now if you don't know who Saul was in the scripture, Saul was the king before David. Saul was the first king of Israel. He said, because Saul and his family are guilty of murdering the Gibeonites. Verse two. So the king summoned the Gibeonites. They were not part of Israel, but were all that were left of the nation of the Amorites. The people of Israel had sworn, now this is back to Saul's reign. The people of Israel had sworn not to kill them. But Saul in his zeal for Israel and Judah Had tried to wipe them out, the Gibeonites out. Now, just to give a little bit more history to this, if y'all know the story of the children of Israel, how God had given the promised land, the Gibeonites was a group of people who feared the Israelites, people coming in. And actually, they tricked the Israelites into signing a covenant, an agreement, a treaty. They pretended like they came from a far country and they came to the leaders of the Israelites and they said, you know, we know you're coming in, we know you're a powerful people. Would you make a treaty with us that you will not harm our people? And it was, it, it was now this is what's interesting to me. It was through trickery that the treaty was signed but because the Israelites gave the word not to harm the Gibeonites, God honored the treaty. God honored the word. Later on, King Saul, like I said there in the scripture, out of his zeal, he ended up murdering a bunch of the Gibeonites. In other words, there was an agreement made that was not withheld up. It's not held up. Now this is interesting to me because here many years later, we find David inquiring, God, God, what's going on in our nation? Why is this drought? Why is this come against us? And God says, basically because the covenant was broken. Look at verse three, verse three. Second Samuel 21, verse three. David asked them, and said, what can I do for you? David's asking God, how can I make amends so that you will bless the Lord's people again? Now, Old Testament times, you better be glad you're not living in Old Testament times because Old Testament times was an eye for an eye, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. I mean, you talk about justice and judgment, it was heavy in the Old Testament. Now, thank God we're in a time of grace, right? But again, I've talked about this last week. God's love is two-sided. There is the grace side. And how many of y'all are glad for God's grace? Let me hear you. Amen. But there's also the judgment side to God's love. Just like a parent, we love our kids. So we give them grace, but we also bring discipline to them. Amen. We got to have a balance in that as a parent. If all you have is grace with no punishment, no judgment, you're going to have a very spoiled self-centered child. But all you have is judgment without any grace. You're going to have a, a, a rebellious child. You got to balance it between grace and the judgment side. Even Hebrews says, whom the Lord loves. How many of y'all think the Lord loves you? Word says, whom the Lord loves, what does he do? He corrects us. It's part of life, right? And so David inquires of God, what should we do? Well, God basically says, you gotta make it right. And so he goes to the Gibeonites and says, what do you want done? And basically the Gibeonites said, give us the heirs, Saul's children. So you know what David did? He rounded up all of Saul's children He said, here they are, and you know what they did? It was an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. They killed them all, except for Mephibosheth, which is a whole other covenant story about David and Mephibosheth, okay? But look at verse 14. 2 Samuel 21, verse 14. Then the king ordered that they bury the bones in the tomb of Kish, Saul's father, at the town of Zila in the land of Benjamin. And after that, so in other words, after they were killed, David gathered up all of Saul's descendants that had been killed or had been buried somewhere. He brought them all together, exhumed their bodies, brought them together and buried them in one place. But this is what I want you to see. What was the result of all this? Look at it, what does it say? Read it with me. God ended the famine in the land crazy story what does that have to do with us today well if you look at the story here that took place there was a grievance there was a broken treaty there was a man's word that was given that was not upheld that God being the ultimate judge before he could do anything with the children of Israel who broke the covenant he said you need to deal with it you got to deal with the past Now, this is where I think that sometimes we can get too carried away with the grace message. Sometimes we can say grace so much that we don't go back and take care of our sins of our past. Now, the word even says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we sin, that we can come to the Father God and ask for forgiveness, and he will forgive us of our sin. But you got to go ask God for forgiveness of that. Amen. But there's a lot of people that preach, well, you know what, well, you can go out and sin, do whatever you want to do without any repercussions. I, I have a problem with that. I have a problem with me being able to go just live my life, live a life of sin, giving into my flesh, and having no repercussions. I believe that, you know, even today, even in the New Testament times, yes, God's grace is sufficient. Yes, God's blood covers over me. But bless God, if I've done wrong, I need to stop and say, God, I'm sorry. Yeah. I've learned that in my marriage. If I have grievance in my marriage, if I've said something bad to Tammy, and you know what? If I'm gonna have peace in my family, I better find a moment to stop and say the, you know, those two words that every man has a hard time saying. Those, honey, I'm sorry. S- s- sorry. <laughs> Guys, why is it so hard for us to admit we're wrong sometimes? Amen? Come on, I wanna hear every guy in this room say, I'm sorry. Thank you for your three men that followed me along in that little exercise. <laughs> There is power in forgiveness. There's power in going and asking forgiveness. Let me say it that way. Amen. If God is the ultimate judge, then I believe that he is the one who determines what is truly right and what is truly wrong. I could go in so many different directions. This is why moral relativism does not work. In other words, man is not the ultimate judge for us what is right and wrong. God is. God is. I fully take a biblical worldview and I believe that the word that God gives us, that is the absolute truth of our life and it applies to all, not just to Christians. Because there are principles that we see in the scriptures that is for all of us to live by, all of humanity. And I think thus, that's why we're having so many issues today in our world, is because we're living in a world that has taken God's word, the absolute truth of God's word, has put it on a shelf and it's not given value to the word of God any longer. Now we're looking to judges, we're looking to man, we're looking to people, we're looking to public opinion to determine what's right and wrong. Come on, we are gonna mess, we're gonna stay messed up unless we go back to the word of God to determine what is right and wrong because God is the judge. He is the judge of all. He's the judge of my life, amen. He's the judge of your life. He's the judge of our situations. He's the judge of injustices in our world today. But I believe that God is calling for us all. to. Would you make a stand? Stand for something. Would you make a stand? Listen, I want us as a church to have a stance that we're gonna make it hard for people to go to hell from Enid, Oklahoma, Come on, anybody else with me? We live in a real world with a real devil who's out stealing, killing, and destroying people's lives. And listen, the mission field, it is, yes, in third world countries. It is in Africa and Mexico. But there's a mission field right in your own backyard now, people. There's a mission field right here in Enid, Oklahoma. People that are that are dying, going to hell. People that are broken. People that are in pain. And what will we do about it? When we come to church on a Sunday morning and say, yeah, there's a problem, but go into our world and do nothing about it. No, I believe God is calling us as a church and as individuals, let's bring justice to our world. Let's bring justice to those that are in the valley of addiction. Let's bring justice to the men that are tied into pornography today. Let's bring justice to those that are, that are addicted to drugs and to alcohol. Come on, church, we are called to bring justice. And it's not right that the devil is beating people up today. What are we going to do about it? We can sit and have our tractional church services come into the building and, woo, yeah, that's good, and go into our world and just be like everybody else. Or we can go into the world and we can be Jesus, bringing hope and joy and peace into our world today. Amen. God is the ultimate judge. But I believe that we are an assignment from God to help bring justice to situations. When you look around in your world today, do we see injustices? Do we turn a blind eye to those injustices or do we do something about the injustices? Let me just share from my heart here for just the next few moments. It was a month ago that Tammy and I got an invitation to go to a prayer breakfast at the governor's mansion with Governor Stitt and First Lady Sarah. Tam and I was, I felt like we needed to be there. We was excited to go, but as we sat in that prayer breakfast, I cannot describe to you the emotions that I felt during those, that hour and hour and 30 minutes that I was there. Sarah Stitt stood up and she said, this was on a Tuesday morning, she said just yesterday, the day before, she had this prophetic vision. Now, she didn't call it a prophetic vision. She said she had this vision. I call it a prophetic vision. But she said, uh, at, at, during, while she's sleeping, she saw this map of Oklahoma laid out as a flat map of Oklahoma. As She saw that. But she said, out of this map that was laying flat, she saw these big shadowy giants that had risen out of Oklahoma that were standing strong. But she went on to say that as they begin, as we at the breakfast begin to address these giants, she said that she began to see these giants fall one by one. Now, there's a couple of key points here. I don't have time to go into teach about this, but for somebody to be at the highest level of leadership of our state, the governor, to have a prophetic vision like that. To me, that is God putting a finger on something, revealing to the highest leaders of our state that there are some issues that need to be dealt with in our state. There are The giants represent strongholds. Now, those of you that are Oklahoma natives know that Oklahoma began in, what, 1907, that we became a state. So a little over 100 years ago, we became a state in Oklahoma. Now keep in mind what we read about the Gibeonites there, there was an offense that took place against a group of people. As I was he- hearing Sarah share about this and for the rest of the program that morning, I-, I could not believe the things that I was hearing. I have, I'm born, I've been I was born in Pampa, Texas. So I was born as a Texan, but I quickly became an Oklahoman. After a few years, I've been in Oklahoma uh, living in Oklahoma ever since I was 10 years of age. So Oklahoma, I consider to be my state here. As she began to talk, I immediately remembered uh, some history that I learned in high school. Uh, Just to sum it up, everybody probably has heard the story of the Trail of Tears, correct? It was back in the 1800s, was about 1830 to 1850s or right around there that Oklahoma was the center for this massive relocation of the five tribes coming out from Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, all that area. I don't know how much you know about the story, and I really don't intend on going into a lot of detail on this, but basically uh, the United States government had made treaties with the Native Americans. But treaty after treaty was broken. And out of greed for land in Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, eventually under President Andrew Jackson, who had one mission as a president, and that was to get rid of the Indians out of those states and put them somewhere in the back corner. Those of you who know the history of that time period know that Oklahoma was the center place that Andrew Jackson wanted to evict all the Indians out of the settled America and to send them to Oklahoma to what was really known as no man's land. Became Indian territory. So the five tribes, the Cherokees, the Choctaws, all the five tribes, where some of them went peacefully, others held out, but there was some of them that was forced to march in the cold of winter from places back east to Oklahoma and there are many thousands of those Native Americans that died on their way to Oklahoma and even when they got to Oklahoma they was given the entire state of Oklahoma in fact if you look this up on Google you will see you know the original territory of Oklahoma that we're living up in the whole northern tier of Oklahoma was given to the Cherokees now, what happened after that? They got him here, but there was many that died because of sickness. Many died because of disease. It was actually said that the, our government uh, uh, introduced smallpox into the group of Indians just to help get the numbers down. I mean, we literally killed people just because they was living in a land that our forefathers wanted. Now, what does it have to do with us here today in Oklahoma. Well, I believe that one of those giants in the land is the way that the American Indians were dealt with today. Even there's more that I could go into of how the thing that makes Enid pretty famous is the land run here. But even in that, after the Indians were given all of Oklahoma to live in, the government began to start taking back what was given. Okay? Now, I'm not in a political debate with any of this. I just want you to know some history. And you can, some of y'all know history better than I know. But I can't help but to think, is there one of those giant shadowy figures that's here in Oklahoma, stronghold in Oklahoma, that has to deal with the sins of our fathers? That's what God is talking to David about, King David. King David, you're, this famine's in the land because of the sins of Saul, your forefathers. Now, in my prayer breakfast, they went in to talk about another event that I'd never heard of before. You know, I've been in Oklahoma all my life, pretty much. But they begin to talk about an event that happened 100 years ago, this weekend in Oklahoma. I was flabbergasted. I could not believe what I was hearing. Raised in Oklahoma, raised in Oklahoma schools, and I had never heard about the Tulsa Race Massacre until one month ago. But in in May the 31st, 1921, 100 years ago. Let me just give you some background. and Some of y'all have been here a lot because there's been a lot of talk about this, but let me just give you just some quick highlights of what took place 100 years ago. In Tulsa's Greenwood District, there dwelled over 9,000 black residents. Many of them were working class, but a very large number of them were self-made, very wealthy business people. There was a lot of doctors in this area. Uh, there were teachers, there were lawyers, and many professionals. They had their own schools. Tulsa at that time was very segregated. They had their own schools. They had their own hospital. They had their own police station. They had their own post office. They had their own library and On May the thirtieth of one thousand nine hundred and twenty one there was a young black teenager who was a shoe shiner there in that Greenwood district, who had to go to the bathroom. And the only bathroom close enough that he could go to was a black bathroom on the fourth floor of the building that he was working outside of. So he got on the elevator, went to the bathroom, and got back on the elevator. As the elevator was going down, something happened in the elevator that caused it to jostle. Some historians say that something didn't line up, but something caused him to jostle, causing him to lose his balance and fell into the young elevator operator, Sarah Page. Sarah Page, whether it was him hitting him, the young man hitting him, or just being scared in an elevator. I've been in an elevator and it kind of jostled for a minute. Tammy lets out a scare, a scream, you know, like, ah! Ah! But when the doors opened, this young man, Dick, he ran from the elevator and there was a nearby uh, businessman that saw the black man running out and saw a young white teenage girl in the elevator and he called the police. Something was going on, he thought. The next day in the Tulsa Tribune, an article came out that said, nab Negro molest white By the time the evening rolled around, the rumors began to fly, and the young man was rounded up. He was taken to the police station to be questioned. Did he sexually assault this young girl? Around 9 p.m. that next day, a group of white businessmen was headed to the jail, wanted to get the young man out and lynch him. This was the days of the lynch mobs. 25 armed black men, who were many of them were World War I veterans, went to the courthouse just to make sure that they did not get the young man because just a year before, a white mob had got a black man out of the same jail and lynched him in the streets. Rumors began to fly around that there was a black insurrection arising and that there was people coming, black people from other towns, and they was gonna take over Tulsa. At that, there were 1,500 white men that showed up there that evening, all of them carrying weapons. The sheriff came out and tried to disband the people that had gathered there. And as the black veterans began to leave, there was a white man that tried to take a gun from one of the black guys, and they got into a tussle and a shot was fired accidentally. At the firing of that shot, all hell broke loose. It was an all out war. The black men retreated back to their community of Greenwood but this 1,500 member white mob went after them. In a matter of just a few hours, 35 city blocks was burned to the ground. 1,256 homes in Greenwood owned by black residents was burned. 215 other homes were looted but weren't torched. Two newspapers were burned to the ground. A school, a library, and the hospital, the only hospital that black people could go to at that time was burned to the ground. So the people that was being injured could not even get help. Two dozen grocery stores, a dozen churches, four drug stores, eight doctor's offices, 30 restaurants, and many other black-owned businesses were destroyed or damaged by the fire. By the time the fires were put out, the firefighters that showed up to put the fires out were not allowed by the white mob to even enter into the district. They couldn't put the fires out. There was even airplanes that flew over. There are many counts that says that they've dropped uh, turpentine balls of fire upon the homes and the businesses in that district to burn them down. That is unconfirmed, but there are some eyewitness reports that says that they saw it happen and actually saw the balls burning on the ground as they heard them hitting the roofs. According to the Oklahoma Bureau of Vital Statistics, 36 people died that day, 26 black and 10 white. But however... All historians estimate the death toll would have have probably been around 300 because once everybody realized what had happened, there was a lot of cover-up. In fact, the newspaper article that started the whole thing, you can't even find today. The young boy, Dick, was found totally innocent. Sarah Page, who was in the elevator with him, did not back any of the claims that the newspaper said that. He tried to molest her. said it was a total accident. Today, this is 100 years past that event. The thing that just, I, I, I can't put my finger on the emotion that I feel when I heard this. I've lived in Oklahoma. I never heard of it. I didn't know what happened. The injustice that took place 100 years ago. Now, there's more that I could tell you about the story of Greenwood, but I would encourage you to just look at it yourself. There's been a lot of stuff on TV lately about this. There's a lot of people that died. Again, the reason why they don't know how many died because there was, a lot of them was thrown into the graves. A lot, of, a lot of the black people left Tulsa, but there was a bunch of them that had some resilience. He said, you know, we're not going to say no. We're not going to be driven out. We're going to make a stand. You know, something else just really irritates me. All the black businesses and people's homes that were burned down, they filed. In, they all had insurance. Every one of them was denied because they called it a riot. But all the white businesses, all the white people who filed insurance claims, guess what? They were paid. You know, I love this state. I don't know, some of y'all may not be from Oklahoma. In 1907, when this, this state began, the very first law that was passed by our state government, law number one, was to deal deal with Jim Crow laws to back up segregation. The very first law that our leaders of our state thought that they needed to establish was that, you know what? We gotta stay segregated. It's to back the Jim Crow laws. You may say, pastor, why are you... talking about this I believe that God is calling us to make wrong things right now how do we do that now I'm, there's a lot of controversy going on about this okay and I'm not diving into that but I do want to read you scripture in 2nd Chronicles 2nd Chronicles chapter 7 2nd Chronicles chapter 7 verse 13 now this is something that God tells uh, Solomon Solomon was the guy was the next guy after King David Solomon built the temple all right David made all the provisions, but Solomon built a temple. And God shows up after this beautiful dedication of the temple. In verse 13 of 2 Chronicles 7, it says this. He says, at times, he says, I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls or command grasshoppers to devour your crops or send plagues among you. Verse 14, look at this. But if my people who are called by my name, how many of y'all know Jesus Christ today? Come on, let me hear you. How many of y'all know Jesus today? If my people who are called by my name, if they will do three things if they will humble themselves, and if they will pray and seek, if they'll seek my face, and if they will what? Turn from their wicked ways. I love the promise that God says, and I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive the sins. And come on, help me out. What else did he say? And I will what? Heal their land. This is the promise still for us today. So, what is our part? Man, we need to be humble, we need to pray and seek, and we need to, man, do everything we can do here to just really turn and to repent. From the uh, are we guilty for the sins of our forefathers? Let me read you something. It says in Numbers chapter 14, verse 18. Numbers 14, 18 for the Lord is slow to anger and he's filled with unfailing love, forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion. Thank God for that, right? But he does not excuse the guilty. He lays the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and in the fourth generation. That is Numbers chapter 14, verse 18. Even to the third and the fourth generation. This is what I believe our action point is today. To do what it says. I can't answer for my forefathers, but I can go to Father God and repent for what our forefathers have done. God told David, go make it right. So our part today is let's make it right spiritually. Let's make it right. So here to close my message today, I want us to pray for a few moments. Y'all good with that? I've invited some people up here today to help me close this service in prayer. So uh, my people are praying. Jonathan, if you'd come, Effie Babcock. Jonathan's going to represent our African-American community. Effie Babcock's going to represent the American Indians. And then Jesse Chicas is going to represent our Hispanic population here today. So I want you, don't worry, don't think about getting out of here. Just We're going to take a couple moments because I believe this is important for us all to do here today. Let's repent, pray, seek God, and let's see God bring a healing to our land. Anybody with me today? Come on, I want to see God bring a healing to our lands. Now, we probably should do this on a national level. I just talked about a couple events here in Oklahoma, and there's more than those too. But I believe God wants to reconcile some things. And will you stand with me for justice for these things? Jonathan, I'm going to let you go
2: first. Father God, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't know what to say. So I'm just asking you to just fill me with the words that you would have me to speak. With years of pain, hurt, lies, dysfunction, distrust, father god, we we come before you, and we ask that you that you would heal the wounds, the emotional, the the physical. We know that true relationship can't be built until we deal with what's taken place so we lay it before you Father we lay our sins out bare for each other to see Father God and for you to see and we pray that you heal them Father you begin to repair what's been broken show us Father what role you would have us to play individually Father God Show us what you would have us to do collectively as a body. our spiritual healing is necessary but our hearts and our minds are necessary as well and that requires us to go out and do. And Father God, we accept that call. We ask God that you would break our hearts for what breaks your heart, Father God, so that we do and we are moved to restore what it is that you've called us to restore, Father God. We thank you for your grace, we thank you for your mercy we love you father in Jesus name
3: father I thank you today for the air in my lungs Lord and I just thank you for making me a part of a beautiful culture Lord that um Communities, Lord, that we have across this country. Lord, I thank you for the missionaries that you've called to go into these reservations, Lord, to speak about who you are and your son, Father. And Lord, I just pray that the people that they touch, Lord, can open their eyes and their hearts and their minds, Lord, and receive you, Father. I know that you created each one of our people with a gift, Lord. And I ask that you just just help help them, help the people to open their eyes and see that that you are true. You are a true God. And Lord, I just thank you for um, this church, Lord. I thank you for our pastor who can speak on this subject. Lord, I pray for all the diseases that we have, like diabetes and alcoholism and drug addiction, Lord. I just pray for those people who are struggling through that. Thank you for healing, Lord, and thank you for your forgiveness. In your name I pray.
0: I was asked to pray in Spanish as well, Um, but I just wanna thank the Lord for this moment. I wanna thank because it starts with the moment somebody decides to pray. It starts with the heart that connects to the heart of the Father and says, we have to speak. We have to pray. We have to press in to the presence of God for change. We thank you, God, because we are no longer living in the times that were so, so difficult. But we are thankful as well because here in time, There's still room for growth. There's still room for change, God. And we thank you for the hearts that are here. We thank you for the presence of God in this room and in each and every one of us. So I just thank you, first of all, for this moment that we have today. And then for all the Latino community, I just thank you, Lord. I thank you for every single one of them because it starts with um, your Holy Spirit, connecting with us and us connecting with the Holy Spirit in order for us to make a change. God, te doy gracias por cada persona, por cada ser humano te doy gracias Señor gracias por tu Espíritu Santo thank you for your Holy Spirit gracias Espíritu Santo porque hoy hay un cambio, thank you Holy Spirit because today there is a change gracias Espíritu Santo porque hoy se levanta tu nombre en alto thank you Holy Spirit because today we lift your name up high, we lift your name up high Holy Spirit, we thank you because you have delivered us te damos gracias porque nos has hecho libres Espíritu Santo y en esta mañana nos unimos juntocamente contigo As the Holy Spirit today we unite with you because you have given us love you are love Father God you are love, you flow in love so we ask you and we pray today that we can love those around us um, the way that you have loved us oh God te damos gracias y te pedimos que podamos amar a todo ser humano así como tú nos has amado a nosotros Because we have been made unto your image You do not see color You see the heart of a man, God Tú no ves el color de una persona Tú ves el corazón, Padre You do not see anything, God But the heart of man So we thank you this morning And we bless you for this moment So te damos gracias en este momento Y te damos gracias por este instante, Señor En el nombre de Jesús In Jesus' name we pray Amen
1: Amen Father, I just want to add our prayers here today, Lord God, I just, Lord, this is a special moment, different ethnic groups even here on the stage today, Lord, there's others that are not represented here on the stage, Lord, I think of what you said there with the disciples, what we know was one of the true Lord's prayers, Lord God, it's not the one we traditionally think about, but Lord, you pray to, to the Father, and you said, Lord, would you make them one as you and I are one, Father, we're living in a time of much division, much hate, much confusion. Lord, we stand for justice here today at World Harvest Church, Lord God. And Father, we pray that justice begins with us, it begins here in our own community, Lord God. Father, forgive us for stereotyping, Lord God, for prejudices, Lord God. Father, and forgive our state, our forefathers, Lord God, for the sins of the past, Father. Please forgive them. Would you forgive us? Lord, you give us a promise. When we repent, when we turn from our wicked ways, Lord, you'll bring a healing. Lord, we pray for a healing in our land. Lord, just as our governor has a vision to make Oklahoma a top 10 state, Lord God, Father, I believe that if we take care of things in the spiritual, Lord God, we'll see those things manifest on the natural. Lord God, have your will, have your way in this city. Lord, have your will, have your way in our state. Lord, have your will, have your way in our nation. In Jesus' name, we pray. Come on, everybody shout it as loud as you can with me. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand here today.
0: Thanks again for listening. We hope that this message inspires, challenges, and fuels you up to take a real Jesus to a real world. If you'd like to connect with us in any way, please go to harvestenit.com slash connect. Or if you'd like to learn more about us as a church, please go and check us out at harvestina.com. We can't wait to share another
2: message with you next week.